everyone. Um, thank you for joining me. My name is Lee Parker, and I'll be going through, as Pastor Paul said, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 34, maybe a little bit of 35. And before we begin, uh, or before we really dig in, let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Gracious God, Lord, we thank you so much for gathering us as we reflect on your word today, this morning. Um, obviously, you deserve way more than just a few minutes, but I pray that even through this short lesson, the Holy Spirit would speak to us individually and we would hear and listen to what you're saying to each one of us. I also pray that today's lesson helps us to reflect on your love for us and how amazing it is that you chose us all to be in your family. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So um, for those of you guys that joined late, yeah, this is a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I will do my best not to speed read too too fast. <clears throat> All right, we're going to start with um, verse 7. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edema, and the regions across the Jordan around the Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Uh, verse 13, Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, or send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerages, which means son of thun sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, verse 20, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And they're guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked around or looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mothers, here are my mother and my brothers. Okay, um, so right off the bat, we can see from the first part of this of this passage that um, Jesus' popularity has, has reached, like in our term, modern terms, A-list celebrity status, right, uh, with the people. To recap, you know, from, from chapters one and two, we've learned that Jesus had driven out demons, had healed a man with leprosy, also healed a paralyzed man, and instantly healed many others of various physical ailments and afflictions. Not only that, um, but he directly challenged the authority uh, and the teachings of the Pharisees 
by not fasting and working on the Sabbath, right? So for some people, uh, depending on your, pers- your perspective, right, he's he's um, famous, and in other perspectives, he's infamous, right? Depending, again, if you're a Pharisee or if you're, like, one of these people that wants to be healed. So you can see that, that Jesus is, is a big deal, so much so that it says here in, in verse 8, if you go back to that, that many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edema, and the regions around the Jordan and around the, the Tyre and Sidon. So at this point in, in the story, Jesus is near the Sea of Galilee, right? And so geographically, if we look at all the different places that people are coming from, it means that they're traveling a great distance to hear him. And even more so, they want this, this off chance to be healed by him, right? Because he's been doing all these crazy miracles and people are just are, are just traveling for this off chance to, to get healed, right? But knowing the short-sighted, selfish nature of man, Jesus plans kind of an escape pod of sorts and has a bow ready for him to keep the crowds at bay. Um, you know, what's important about this and what speaks to me is that Jesus knows the intentions of these people. You know, they're desperate for instant healing of their physical ailments and, and understandably so, right? I mean, I think if you're, you know, a paralyzed man or a man with leprosy, like, like Christy mentioned before in one of her messages, um, I think it's, you're basically doomed, right? So if you have this, this chance to, to be physically healed, you're going to do anything you you can to take it, right? Um, and, and and I would too, right? So, um, but Jesus knows that the purpose is, his purpose is not to physically heal us, but to spiritually heal us. And that's why he doesn't do that. He doesn't just, you know, he's not like Oprah and hands out healing to everybody, right? Um, he kind of separates himself from, from the crowd. And so, the next passage, um, the next part of the passage talks about a critical step in Jesus's ministry. So this is where he appoints the 12 disciples that will help continue to do his work. And he does this here in, in verse 13 by saying he called those that he wanted and they came to him. So Jesus knows that he won't be on this earth in physical form forever. You know, like a good leader, he recognizes the need to delegate some of his responsibility, right? Um, and the crazy thing about this is that God wants all of us, right? But he won't force us to do anything. We have to make the first move. And that's what the disciples did by first believing and then going to him when he called. And so I think when I was when I was meditating over this, I was I was wondering like why what is the what is the importance of twelve disciples? Why are there just twelve, right? And so many scholars believe that twelve disciples symbolically represent the twelve original tribes of Israel. And signifies a new covenant between God and man. You know, carrying on this theme from of new that Hayan had um, yesterday, right? And so again, this is also important to the Jews because again, those twelve tribes of Israel, um, you know, it's just really important to them. Um, another thing about this is that again, yeah, Jesus knows that he needs to continue. He needs help to continue his ministry. So he's choosing these twelve disciples to do to do that. And so, what does it mean to be disciple? And in order to do that, you have to drop everything and follow him. So these these twelve are, are are spending all every day with them all day every day, um, and they're learning as much about about him so they could go out again and, and preach and um, have the authority to drive out demons, as it says in chapter in verses fourteen and fifteen. Um, and what's especially significant about these twelve disciples that I'll touch on more in, in this last point is that these disciples will go on. Um, to spend so much time with Jesus that they'll know him better than anyone else, right? And so what made me think about that is who knows us better than anyone else? Who do we consider people we share the closest bond to, right? And a lot of times there's, I think, the saying that says, when, when or, or the popular saying, when, when you are close to someone that's not necessarily related to you, you say what, like, they're like family, right? And so 
Um, that leads us to the last part of today's message. And, and basically it's where Jesus and his, and his disciples have traveled to a house. And again, they're met by crowds of people hoping for the chance to be healed by Jesus. And then in verse 22, again, the teachers of the law declare that Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub, which is basically a feeble attempt to discredit him and his miracles, right? They've seen what he's, what he's, what he's done, what he can do, and, and they're, they're visibly um, threatened by him. Right. They know um, he he's challenging everything that they stand for. Um, and yet they choose not to believe. Right. Jesus then clearly responds back to them in parables in verses 23 and 27 by basically saying, you know, if because they're calling him basically Satan. Right. And he's like, well, if I was Satan, I'd be undoing all the work that I'd already done, which which makes basically no sense. Right. And then he goes on to say in verse 29, Whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. So Jesus, once again, is foretelling of his death, right? And by mentioning the Holy Spirit, who hasn't been mentioned yet, right? And spoiler alert for those of you who haven't taken Cornerstone yet, or a quick refresher for those of you that have, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Holy Trinity and is Jesus' Jesus's advocate when he leaves this world. And the Holy Spirit reveals the truth about Jesus to each of us, that he's our savior. And basically, if anyone attributes his works, the works of Jesus, to someone else, like Satan, that's considered blasphemy. So you basically have to give credit to Jesus where, where it's due. Is essentially what he's saying here, right? And then the passage ends with Jesus' mother and brothers arriving at the house. And, and while it's not clear from the text what exactly their intentions are, right? Because of, there have been men- there's mention of other parts of his family that were you know trying to call him crazy and all this kind of stuff earlier in, in the passage. We're not clear what, what their intentions are, but what is clear is that Jesus' thoughts about those gathered around him. So if we look back again at verses 33 to 35, who are my mother and my brothers? Yes. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And so um, obviously everyone around him is not part of his his actual family, right? But what Jesus say, is saying here is that his family is not about blood lineage. It basically applies to anyone that believes in him. So when we believe in him and we do his work and follow his teachings, we are part of his family. And then an important thing to note here, if you go back and, and look at what Jesus says, right, he mentions mother, brother, and sisters, but he never mentions father, right? And um, that's that's important because he knows that God is his father, Amen. right? That's a That's a... It's a small but important note. And a big part of doing that work, again, is bringing others into the family, such the way that the disciples were, were called to do, right? And that directly applies to us here at Forest and our house church ministry, ministry about reaching out to VIPs and MIAs. Um, I'd like to quickly close here with a, with a quote that, that probably sounds as corny as it did in the movie, um, but I think it embodies what Jesus is saying here. And it's from uh, Dominic Toretto, from one of the greatest and longest movie series um, that I know is from the Fast and Furious. And it says, I don't have friends, I have a family. Let us pray. Um, Father God, thank you once again for being a God of love and for calling each of us to be part of your eternal family. Thank you for the sacrifice of your only son on the cross so that we can be part of it. None of us are worthy, yet we know you, you wouldn't have it any other way. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you would equip us to continue to do your work, much like you did the 12, 
Give us the authority and boldness to invite VIPs into your family, the greatest family of all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.